Greetings and welcome to Office Hours. If you are new here and you want to learn a little bit more about what we do, you can head over to officehours.global. And our first hour, we answer your questions around media, virtual events. And our second hour is something that we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we'll be brainstorming. We want to hear from you about all things marketing, business, technology. So producers, go ahead and put your questions and your comments in early so that our panelists can get to it. And Bill, it is the first Monday of the year. So happy to be with you. Let's get this party started. Happy day after New Year, uh, Liberty. It's great to see you this morning. And our first question comes from Tim Holm in San Lorenzo, California. And Tim says, I have heard of people purchasing HM HDMI dummy plugs. What are these used for? Go ahead, TJ. These little plugs here, um, they, you plug them into your computer and it makes your operating system think you have a second monitor, even though you don't have maybe have room for it. And then certain pieces of software like Zoom, for instance, will give you two display options when you have two monitors. But if you only have one monitor, you only see one window. So if you want to have the two window uh, operation of Zoom, you plug this in and then you get both windows. Okay, David. I actually use one of those on a Mac that I use for playback via MIDI. So I'll use the dummy plug, set that as my primary work surface, RDP or VNC into the Mac, and then playout goes out over the HDMI connector into the ATEM. So that way I'm not using two ports on the switcher where one is just for uh, management of the machine. It's just strictly the output goes into my switcher and I'm, I'm good to go for show. And guy. Yeah, same thing. We use them to fake seeing a second monitor. So we're mostly using it for uh, screen capture. So uh, in via NDI. So NDI will now see that as a, another display that we can now grab onto whatever's inside of there. All right, next question. Alexander Knight comes up next from here in the panel in Vancouver, British Columbia on an ATEM. When you capture a still, how do you auto fade to the still that's in your media pool? Go ahead, Nigel. Well, I'm assuming here we, we, we're going to take the still we've captured and then put it uh, into our media pool, select it as one of the media devices, go back to your main screen, make sure your downstream, one of your downstream keys is set to the media player, and then that button will operate uh, your, bring up your still, and if you pre press the auto and you have it set to fade, it should fade in and out. Courtney? Yeah, Nigel pretty much covered it just Drop it into that little button that says uh, media player, and then you can switch or you can fade. And I haven't captured the still in quite a while, so it doesn't quite match up. But uh, <laughs> just use the uh, auto button. All right. And Jesse. And here is the visual version of that. Um, we've got our media pool here. I'm going to drop in a clip. This is just something off of MidJourney. Uh, make sure you load it into your uh, media pool. The overhead view, uh, we're going to switch from cut to auto, and you've got a whole bunch of different transitions that you can play with. And then when you're ready to go to that image, you tap the media pool, and it should do the fade as you're expecting. Wonderful. Next question. David Brady's up next, also on the panel, this time from New York City, though. And David says, the LG Quad 43UN700-B has an RS-232C port, but it's terminated in a 3.5-millimeter plug, which is a little unusual for control. With less and less serial ports out there, is there a way to use USB native without a bunch of adapters? Go ahead, Alex. 
I think a bunch of adapters is the is the key word there. <laughs> I believe that Mauser actually makes a uh, USB uh, to it's just a cable that's a USB on one end and the RS two thirty two C on the other end, and so you can plug those directly. And now I don't know how that protocol works, but but it do, it is just a single cable, so it's not a bunch of adapters that need to. And there's also a plethora of USB to RS two thirty two, the standard, you know, nine pin or whatever that's there. Um, so there's a lot of those you can get, but I think Mauser makes one that's actually goes to that eighth inch jack that that you're looking for. And is that Mauser M A U M M O U S E R? I think is the I think that they have one. We had to we had to connect a uh, some kind of um, stenographer thing that, that needed that one little cable, and uh, it. I don't. I don't know if they still have it, but it, if it, if they have it, it's it's useful. <laughs> Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, these um, adapters are pretty cheap. They're about eleven bucks. Uh, RS two thirty two nine pin to USB. Uh, look for one that is uh, FTDI chipset because they're uh, more compatible across all platforms. The prolific ones were counterfeited for a while and will will give problems. But if you have to do a two-step process and go 9-pin to uh, 3.5 millimeter uh, and then this cable that I just showed to go from USB to serial. Next question. Jack Cannon's up next from Phoenix, Arizona. And Jack says, when you use Polycam to scan a room, is it better to use a tripod or is just holding your phone good enough? I'll be scanning a room today and I'm looking for the best results. Go ahead, Alex. If you're using the Matterport software, you probably want to use a tripod because it has its own little head that will sit on top of it that will let you kind of organize it. So um, that is, it's a, it, is a, it is a great little head <laughs> and, and it'll let you build tours of a location um, from, from that, um, that piece. But if you are, um, I wouldn't put the, the camera on there if you don't have the, the Matterport software and I think hardware. I've never used it without that. Um, in general, it's using your, it's using the parallax and the LiDAR to figure out where it's at. So it does a pretty good job. If you're trying to walk around, you're going to have a hard time. So you don't want to walk more than about a five foot radius um, around. Uh, you know, you can get, you can kind of move around. You can get around things, but the thing is, as the more you walk, it's going to eventually lose calibration. <laughs> so, so you have to kind of wave things around. You're better off if you really want to detail. I've walked all over spaces and gotten something that was okay, but what you end up having is is you end up having something where the floor goes like this and then goes down like this and goes across or something like that. It just it loses some kind of calibration over a couple inches. And so, um, a lot of times, one of the things you have to just remember is if you have something, if you're here. You're casting geometry shadows, you know, from anything that you can't see. So, so you have to figure out a way that you're going to wander around these areas. Now, a lot of the, a lot of times, what you want to do is capture the area here, and you can walk around a little bit and get some parallax, but don't go too far because, again, it'll lose calibration. Then you can capture other, look, do other captures, and then piece those back together. They should all fit in scale, and you're going to get a lot more detail that way. It is a little bit more work. You can walk around. A, a complex room and get something um, if that's if you, and I would do that just to make sure you had something that you walked away with but a more detailed version would be you move around a little bit get some parallax and then do another one and do three or four of them if it, if it really matters and you're really trying to get all the detail out of the room that polycamp's capable of giving you next question 
Scott Mueller in Germantown, New York is up next. I attended two paid New Year's events with A-list authors or teachers. Both were on dark laptop cams and off mic. One's host didn't even know how to mute all. The other started 45 minutes late due to tech issues. How would I approach them that they need to hire me? Go ahead, Sky. Well, the phrase you could lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink does come to mind, doesn't it? Because uh, here we've had two years of opportunity, but then the horse still doesn't want to drink. So I, I'm being that this is the brainstorming for business day. I was thinking, how do we flop the question and ask, how can I help make you more money? Or how can I help you reach your, your audience better? Because having, telling somebody that you want them to spend money, that's uh, often a, times a, a knee-jerk reaction against what you were trying to do is help them um, make satisfied customers, which you apparently are not. So there's there's my two, two cents. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I mean, one thing you have to have is in this case, when you're trying to kind of get someone to go that direction, uh, I think that you, you this is where you do need to have a demo reel of the things that you've already done to show them like, hey, this is there and have a little web page. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to build the nicest web page in the world, but it has to have some clear examples and, and talk about your services. Um, I don't do a lot of, you know, cold calling, so I don't really know. Uh, but that's, I mean, those are the things that you would want to have for that type of thing. And then what I would re recommend is just saying, hey, you know, I saw that you had some issues. I, I this is what I do. <laughs> you know, if you, if you need any input, I wouldn't try to sell them on anything like you should hire me. I would say if you need, you know, if you'd like some tips and tricks on how to do this, I'm happy to help. And, you know, the, the first step is to, is to I don't worry about trying to have people turn over and immediately hire me to do the thing. I'll give them some help to just get started. And eventually, if, they're, if, if what they're doing grows, they, they end up hiring me. But it's not, um, I don't worry about the, you know, the, the very first time they have to hire me for a show. I just want to, you know, you just want to be useful. And it usually, it, it often turns out with the right clients. Yeah, as Alex said, like serving first. So coming in as you um, you were part of the event and you saw how some ways that they can improve for the next time, really think of it as a relationship building um, strategy. And I would also make sure that I do that relatively soon while it's still on their minds of the event, and, you know, not wait a week or two, just kind of come in with some helpful tips that way if and when something happens again in the future that you're there, but work focusing on the relationship building part of things, because whoever has done this, they hosted this event, they probably have other events as well um, that they do. Alex? Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of people who will do something like, well, I, what I get paid to do is give people advice, but, but I don't, I don't get paid to do, give people advice. I get paid to do jobs, you know, and so I get paid to execute events. So usually when people ask me, like, I'll sit there and have conversations with them and, and give them any information that I have and help, help answer their questions. And then they'll say, well, when do we start paying you? And I'm like, when I have to start canceling things and there's deadlines and there's, and there's things that are there, you know, and I have to start doing things and showing up and delivering things, then you're going to start paying me. And, you know, it's, it costs money, you know, so, but, but, but if you, if you want to talk for a half an hour, you know, uh, you know, a week, I'm fine with that. And I've done that for, for some clients, I've done that for three or four months of just being in meetings and answering questions and everything else. And that, it grows into something, you know, if you're, if you're good at, at having those things, you can't do it for everybody, but, but you can, when you see a good client or a potential client that you really want to work with. Uh, it's really good to just kind of have a long leader. And, and I, my angle on that is that 
they're trying to solve something and I'm going to figure out how to solve it. And then they'll either hire me, hire me to solve it for them or I'm going to solve it for somebody else. But, but uh, you know, like I'm, it, it, I, I want to be in the conversation to see what people want to do with this technology next. Bill? Also, show them what you saw. If you're in a meeting and it's not going well like that, do some screen capture uh, just to make sure that when you approach them, you can say, I was in your event. Here's what it looked like to me, because they might have seen something that was slightly different, maybe slightly better or didn't notice things like the audio problems. If you can do a screen capture and document what you saw as the uh, consumer's experience, showing them that and then showing them another event that you did where it is obviously superior can help give them that awe. Oh, that's my problem. And Courtney. Yeah, Bill has it right. Just um, talk to the producers of the event and convince them that with just a little bit of effort and a little bit of money, you can contact the authors. Because a lot of times in these promo events like this uh, where you're paying, the authors may be appearing free to promote their new book or new sales of whatever new thing that they're uh, representing or that they've created. So uh, they may be getting just a stipend to appear on the show, and they may not want to put any effort into it because they're not getting paid that much money and they're promoting their book, and they look at it, well, I can do it from home. I don't have to fly anywhere, and I'll just open up my laptop and appear in the Zoom meeting. But if you can convince the producers of the show, if they're charging people to attend this uh, paid um, off online event, that they could spend $300 on a, uh, you know, a 360 link. It's a 360 link and a, I mean, even a $10, even the $20 pile uh, fake microphone works pretty well. USB microphone will work well enough to get it close to them and get good sound and good uh, video uh, and maybe a newer light and send it to them and let the celebrities keep them for that price. You know, it's probably just about what you'd be paying them anyway. And Alex. And admittedly, I mean, one thing that is really a problem right now is that the uh, the quality assurance from broadcasters has been so pitiful that it's kind of ruined the experience. And it's really hard. It is an uphill battle to work with any anybody who does this regularly because what they say all the time is I do this all the time. And I, everyone says I sound fine. And you're like, you do not sound fine. There's a this very like emperor has no clothes uh, syndrome going on in broadcast where everyone's told that they sound fine and they do not, do not sound fine. And um, and we fight this all the time with uh, the podcast that we work on, where we say we, we really want to send you a mic. Oh, I use this mic all the time for NPR, and, da, 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 da. and you're like, mm, you shouldn't. And and about half of them buy the mic, you know, not from us. They just they, where where do I get this mic? So um, so anyway, that's you know, and it's it's just a simple thing to fix. But but um, you you want to try to give them simple simple solutions to start with. Next question. Mike Edwards is in next from Brooklyn, New York. And Mike says, morning, guys. What size and brand of monitors would you want to wall mount in a control room build? Operators sit about five to six feet away from a potential screen, trying to decide between the LG 43-inch quad, something bigger, or multiple 27 uh, to 32-inch monitors. Thoughts? Let's start with Courtney. I would just get you a multi-view adapter and go with a you know 55-inch, whatever you have the space for on the wall, and uh, go into your multi-view up to a 16 multi-view so that you can arrange uh, how many monitors you want to feed in and where you want them in that 55-inch uh, square uh, piece. Maybe a couple of them side-by-side, two fifty-five side-by-side might might work for you with a multi-view uh, adapter feeding both of them. Mark? 
So I agree with Courtney. The size of each quad on an LG 43 is 21 inches, so it might be a little bit small if you're trying to read print from five to six feet away. And David. And I guess it also depends on the real estate that you have. Um, if you're over in Brooklyn there, Mike, you know, I know real estate is a premium. So uh, I, th I think the multi-view that Courtney recommends is definitely the way to go. I've got a few rolling ones I'm pulling out of a rack next week, uh, but they're old analog ones, but I'm still going to repurpose them for something. Mitchell? Agree on the main uh, monitor, whether it be 55 inches or 43, that you use the console or a, a you know, high-quality adapter from AJ or Blackmagic to do the multi-view. Uh, for the rest of the monitors, and it can get real expensive at this point, uh, you build a matrix of, uh, like, say, 31-inch Sony broadcast monitors uh, of the PVM series or the B series. Uh, the Bs will cost you about $33,000 per, so be careful how you spend your money. And Alex. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, 24 and 27 inch monitors um, with a couple big 55s. So big 55s across the top where people can see them and you can look up at them and you've got resolution somewhere. And then the ones, the work ones that I'm in front of, uh, 24, if you can find a 4K 24, but that's actually pretty hard. A lot of times you have to go to 27 to get 4K. And then and then you can do um, multi-views into that relatively effectively um, because that means all your quads are one are 1080. So I look at the resolution for them. I want them all to be 4K. And I want, again, all of my operational monitors that are right in front of me are usually 24 or 27. And the upper ones, um, I usually make 55s. Next question. Next one comes to us from Ray Franklin at Mount Dora. And Ray says, what exercise do you routinely do sitting at your desk? What physical activity do you do just before a three-hour virtual meeting? I make it a practice to do at least one minute of stretching and moving in my chair before a long event. Let's start with TJ. I stand up uh, every hour because I wear an Apple Watch. It's always reminding me to stand up once an hour. So I'll do that uh, even during a long meeting. And a lot of times when we're at our desk, we're kind of hunched over. So I make it a point to kind of you know, move my shoulders back and try to open up my chest area and, and tighten the back muscles a little bit just to kind of stretch. David? Yeah. Um, I actually fractured a knee a couple of years ago and I have one of these under desk bicycle things. So sometimes if you see me moving like this, it's because I'm pedaling away. It's not the power. It's not for backup power or anything, but um, yeah. Can you share that in the chat? That's the first time I've heard of an under desk bicycle thing. That, that looks sounds interesting. Mitchell? Um, it's important how you sit, first of all, to uh, reduce those problems. One, one, a couple of the tips I can give you to my chiropractor friend does is make sure your feet are flat on the floor and that you have some thigh support. Uh, and then the other part is your lumbar area should be supported. Once you have those, you're less likely to build it too much tension. And you do build tension in your shoulders. So if you roll your shoulders, why, sorry, uh, if you roll your shoulders while you're sitting there, uh, that's good. Um, also, shake your hands because that's an area where you also build up tension, hanging your hands over a mouse or a, a button, things like that. And remember to stand up, like uh, TJ says, uh, to make sure your whole body gets a stretch. And don't forget your eyes. You know, try to focus your eyes on a distant object every once in a while so they get a little bit of exercise too. But most importantly, flat feet, support on your thighs and your lumbar. I remember Chris Comfort who used to say that about the eyes and, and looking at your distance guy. Well, as we know, we are expensive friends. So I'm going to go to a standing desk option. 
I wasn't a big fan until recently. I was working with my director editor at his house and he has a standing desk and I tried it and I was edit. I mean, I will focus on an edit for hours at a time. So I will completely forget and slouch over and hunch and really bad health. But as a standing desk, actually, I was working for like six hours and and was happy. So there's an idea. And they're not as expensive as they could be. So you can get like some cheapies and some mid-range for a couple hundred bucks. Go ahead, guy. Yeah, it's funny in high school when we were learning to lift weights and exercise, it was all like the bench press and the curls and all this manly football player stuff. And then a couple of years ago, one of my coworkers turned me on to doing some of this beach body on demand stuff. And first I was like, man, this is like girly stuff. But then I started to feel my core. And so even sitting here, I can like flex my core. And that's one of the ones that I can do while sitting on my desk while on show. Then from those exercises, I developed this this thing that I do in between these these workout or in between these sessions uh, is uh, plank to downward dog to warrior to uh, upward. Then I kind of do that a second time. Then I do a headstand. And then uh, downward dog again. Then crossover, crossover, and then that. So that's my routine, and uh, I'll put it up on TikTok or something. So then you'll have. Yes, you've got to do that. That that was awesome. Jesse? Uh, we actually designed our studio exactly around this. So I've got two desks, one for sitting and one for standing. I'm at the standing desk now, and I do all the front-facing communications standing. Bill? Uh, guy, I got sore just watching that. Uh, I started walking after I came out of <laughs> pandemic. I had put on some weight, and uh, I just thought, I got to get back healthier again. So I started first walking. Then I read an article, and I don't know where it came in, but it said that if you want to get a little upper body workout at the same time, there's a thing called Nordic walking. So my wife gave me a set of poles for my... And I don't know why, but for some reason, that just clicked into my head. And that combined with uh, my AirPods and something from Audible means that I can listen to a novel. I only do novels because I want to zone out on somebody who writes well, listen to a story. And I got to tell you, most days I take off to to start this walking process and I kind of wake up when I get back, not even realizing that I've been doing that up and down the hills and things like that. It just takes my brain away from the repetitiveness of the task and makes it something I really look forward to. Go ahead, Courtney. Uh, yeah, I don't have a lot of room here. And, and being sitting here for almost three hours uh, kind of gets wears on me for a while. I, I lean back to take a lot of weight off the lower spine and uh, lean forward. It drives the uh, technical directors crazy here on the panel. And uh, toward the end of the show, I have to straighten my legs out. And I don't have room to do that because there's two PCs right uh, at my knees. So I'll have to turn sideways so I can stretch. So later in the show, you'll see me turning sideways and looking at because if you don't straighten your legs out, you can suffer deep vein thrombosis. You can get blood clots in your legs. And so it's important to straighten them out every now and then. And uh, if you can, get up and walk around. But if you can't, at least straighten them out and get a little exercise in. Much like TJ, the Apple Watch reminds me. So I'll stand every now and then. Sometimes on the show, you'll you'll see me. So this is secrets. You might I try to do it really quietly, but I'll like lift my legs so I can just kind of straighten up and just like do a stretch there. Um, also, I used to play basketball, so I have tight IT bands at times. So I've got um, like a little therapy ball that I'll like roll out my both on my feet. So I'll roll. So just like um, Courtney just said, the circulation and getting that moving around, or I'll just like roll it around my IT band. So I have this handy to, to keep the movements going. Next question. 
Next question comes to us from Alexander Knight here on the panel in Vancouver, British Columbia. Is there a Unity Comms iOS app? My mixer has a signable talkback that can be assigned to Bluetooth. That would be convenient for talking to people on the back end without muting myself in Zoom. TJ? There is a uh, an iOS Unity client app. We have found that using that particular app on cellular has been, or, sorry, on Wi-Fi has been problematic, and we have gotten better results when people move over directly to using their cellular connection instead of Wi-Fi with it. Go ahead, Alex. And if you're not moving around, of course, you can give your phone an Ethernet connection too. So you can you can actually plug into that phone, split that out, and um, and put an Ethernet cable into it. So um, when we're doing high profile events, a lot of times we, if we're not walking around, we'll take an iPad or or a phone and, and actually connect it to Ethernet um, to make sure that we're getting um, the best connection we can. Next question. Uh, next question is from somebody named Liberty White, who's up in Toronto. And Liberty says, after attending a funeral in person, I found that the audio on the stream's replay was replaced by royalty-free music. Is this normal? It was not a positive experience as it interrupted speakers. Yeah, and just to share for you, David, like it was it was really weird because they had a descriptor on the live saying like, they're replacing it with, with royalty-free music, but then there are certain parts where people were speaking and you could not hear the, you know, the eulogy or anything. So it was just a really bad experience. So go ahead, David. Yeah, I don't think it's normal, but I've been seeing more and more of that um, on my Sunday place. We don't even use music of any sort, and yet Facebook has been striking us that we're using some in-sync song, and I keep constantly uh, challenging it telling them that no this is not true and they'll eventually take it down but the, the the normal thing that i've seen is they'll just silence it completely mm. in certain regions uh the replacing i've never heard of yet um but yeah i can see that being a real drag especially when you know there's a spoken word part of things because they're not right. mixing it they're just putting it over it go ahead guy yeah, what we've been doing is just using Zoom webinar instead, and that way we totally have control. We're not going through a CDN, so that way it's not public. We give out uh, the credentials to whoever we need to, and then they can appear, but we also record it, and then we can share it either with a password or without encrypted and all that. So it's a nice way to have access to those recorded files and be able to have it live, but not worry about any kind of copyright. So I would recommend if it's less than 500 bucks, it's fairly inexpensive. I think it's $100 a month for Zoom webinar. So that would be an option to let the service, whoever's uh, streaming the service, to let them know that that's a better option than YouTube or Facebook. Yeah, it was a funeral home. So that's why I also asked, like, is this a trend that we're going to see more with, you know, whether they be SaaS platforms or that outsource or that funeral homes now purchase that service? Because that would definitely be an opportunity for someone to figure out how to get the technology, the software technology to work around that. Alex? Yeah, you'd think that a, a funeral home would be small enough that it would that you they could get away with just having having whatever's in the music there. But the reality is, is that most funeral homes, the vast majority of them are owned by only a handful of companies and they're very large. And so um, most likely in there, that makes them great targets for copyright, you know, for BMI and ASCAP and so on and so forth. They have a central place to go. If they were all independent operators, they wouldn't probably be worth the trouble. But as a large corporation, um, infringing on any kind of copyright would be problematic for them. Um, they probably, there's a there's a high probability that they have the rights to play it during the service, 
but not the rights to maintain a recording of it, you know, right. and, and to replay it. And so, but it, it's because there's, I think it's only two or three companies own like 90% of the, the funeral homes out there. Um, and so, so it's, um, they've kind of sent, because that allows them to centralize logistics, you know, around, around what, right. what it takes to do, to do, do what they do. And so they, um, uh, so anyway, so I think that's, that's probably what happened is it's probably part of that larger chain. Makes sense. David? Just curious, was it the actual recording that was used or was it like the in-house organist, for instance, playing along? Because if, if it's the latter, they must have been really good to get, you know, that kind of strike against them. Just curious. Right. Right. It was um, there was some music playing in the speakers, but it was mainly there was a vocalist and a pianist. So that's, again, just going back to how. And that was really quick because I went to watch it that night. So right. lots of um, great insights there. Next question. Steve Unaf, uh, Uroff, excuse me, in Madison, Wisconsin, says, does anyone know of an iPhone or watch OS app that can send a Zoom mute or unmute keystroke to a paired Mac OS device or be used for push to talk? Go ahead, Alex. I don't think there's an app that I know of that does that, but I think that you might be able to use shortcuts to do that. So to take something from, you know, use shortcuts to have a shortcut on your, on your watch that activates something else on your Mac. Bill? Yeah, the one thing I would say, if you're going to try to do it with your watch, I've noticed that because you're always wearing your watch, and I started with an iWatch number one, and then I moved to a three, and I've, I have a seven now, um, they've, they're very distinct about if you have a button or something like that and you need to push it, you often need to be very intentional about that and sometimes uh, use the deep push in order to get it to actuate. I would be a little leery if this is something like mute, unmute, that you're going to be doing a good little bit that a watch interface would be the right way to do that because I, I think they're pretty sensitive to the fact they don't want you to do a lot of unintended touches because your watch is just something that you you wear and you have on a lot. So test it out before you do that for something that you're going to make money from. Next question. Stefan Fischer in Wurzburg, Germany is up next. What exactly does the aperture curve in the Insta360 link controller do? When would it be helpful? Alex? Yeah, so the curve works basically like what you would see in Photoshop. So you have your you have basically your in and your out is typically the way you have it, and the curve goes like this. And so this basically says when it's this this value, it goes out exactly the same value. When it's at that forty five degree, it's exactly it's going in going out the same way it's going in. Now, if you grab this, and this generally affects the gamma, you can pull this up like that. You can pull the center piece up so it's curved like this. So now it says when you come in at fifty, you're going to come out at a brighter number. You know, um, and, and so that's how that's how you can add a little bit of brightness to the center. Now, you can do things that are much more complex, you know, where you might want to do something where you um, you you save a little bit of the blacks and then you make it a little darker in the center and you save a little bit of the whites or do something where you start to build. And that's probably not a good example, but but it's something that um, that you oftentimes you'll do something like an S curve and that's going to save the white, save the blacks and make it a little bit more contrasty in the center um, to, to make that work. What you don't want to do is go across like this um, because that'll just turn everything into gray <laughs> or, or that gray that goes across. So you'll create posterization there. But but this allows you to do, you know, the fine tuning that we would expect in Photoshop. Um, that, that would allow you to do a lot of uh, the same types of things. If you really, it's, it's the only webcam I've ever seen that lets you have Photoshop level control over your exposure. And so it's, a, it's pretty cool. I will say the link on its own does a pretty good job of color and exposure. But if you want to fine tune that and get it just the way you want it, that's what that tool does. 
Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, Alex explained it really well. The the gamma adjustment, a lot of times people use it to uh, reveal shadow details. So if you've got a background that's not lit very well, but you want it to be, you want to, want people to see the detail or read something or see the detail that's behind you, you bring up that hump in the middle. So it, it increases the gain in the mid mid range and you can bring up the shadow detail and see stuff would, would normally clip to black or, or you know, crush to black. Next question. Stefan Fisher's done. We're moving to Liberty White here again in Toronto. And this time uh, she asked, Jesse, thanks for the ATEM demo. What are you using for your overhead camera demo uh, setup? Yeah, that was just so clear. And I was like, yes, I could ask this question today because I've seen people with boom arms. And this is a really small space. And we use a, a kitchen, not a kitchen, yeah, a kitchen countertop. So even clamping can be challenging. So I'm looking forward to what you have to share. Um, I, I believe I have overbuilt this, but I'll show you what I've got going on. So the overhead camera is uh, Blackmagic Micro Cinema Camera. It's the uh, 1920 by 1080 version. And what I've got is a C-stand with a boom arm going overhead, and that's got a Rode NTG. That's the two, I believe, maybe. That's the two. And we've got the camera in a cage with, uh, that's actually a M42. That's a vintage lens that we use on it, just because we like busting out the old lenses. They're a bit fun. So that's what we got going on. Thank you for asking. Very neat. Thanks, Jesse. Next question. Aaron Giancarlo, Flagstaff, Arizona, up next with purchasing multiple bird dog PTZ cameras. Should I purchase the controller or would Companion run through a stream deck and work just as well? Sky? As an operator, I'm first going to ask, what is your use case? Because if you're doing a tennis match, you would want something that has a uh, lots of flexibility and lots of control. If you're just moving it from one thing to the next, consistently you, you probably can do some automations with uh with even within the software and just the little remote control so i guess that's what i if you're going to do a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of continuous use of movement i would definitely want um, a handheld control guy yeah it's nice to have the actual uh controller so that you can just grab on this one's a different controller that you can pick up for like three or four hundred bucks this does not work with the bird dog so if you see this one there's some knockoff ones from china that i'm controlling this is like a 299 dollar device that you could find it, it's meant for security cameras but uh, you can find it on amazon and then over here i do have and i'm i'm controlling this is an eptz camera by huddle cam so it's a a really cheap ndi camera i think it's the cheapest ndi camera on the market so all in all i'm in this like 600 bucks the benefit of this is that you can sort through 99 cameras. You can also assign presets here and have the physical tactile buttons. But over here, I have my bird dog software control uh, on a 32 button stream deck. So I can go up, down, left, right. And then on another page, I have all of my uh, recall and save presets. So it just depends on how you want to work. If you want to be able to just uh, grab onto a physical thing and move in and out, it's kind of nice to have the the joystick control. And again, this is a cheap one. If you go to like Panasonic or you go to uh, Sony, you get way better controls. This is kind of a Mickey Mouse setup. Again, this is for security cameras, but it works okay for what it is. Next question. Claudio Leggieri in Rome says, is it possible to stream a 360 video inside a Zoom conference and let everyone look around independently the same way it would be possible with the YouTube platform? Alex? I don't think that that's possible right now um, to, to do that. I, and I will say that it's something that people are interested in. It's oftentimes doesn't have the best experience. Like it, it's as a user I've done a lot of 360 experimentation with using it in conferences and using it in concerts and using it at events. 
And it, it, what, what happens is people tend to put it right in the middle. And then it, you, you have an experience that actually you would never have in the room and you would not want, which is that you're sitting in the middle of the table looking like this around people behind you. That's not how you, that's not how you exist you know, when you do that. And so, so we've done things where we put it, um, where we put that 360, you know, at the table, like at a, at a, you know, where you could just sit and look, look around. And with the VR goggles, that actually doesn't work. It doesn't, isn't that bad, but it still felt like it was a little, like you were just trying to use the technology. It, 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 it tends not to make it better than that much better than a wide angle. Courtney. Yeah, real 360, the regular 360 cameras, which stitch together two wide-angle lenses that are back-to-back -back into a, a single global view, uh, probably wouldn't work because you have to decode them and stitch them together in real time uh, and then have, so, somehow have a driver that would interface to zoom that way. The best way would be used to, to use the 360 link. And because that's got a real gimbal and outputs a regular flat 1080p, uh, signal or 4K signal, uh, you can then uh, in Zoom uh, request camera control. So anyone can request camera control on that 360 link and pan it around, but it, they would pan it around for everybody instead of just for their point of view. And David. Yeah, um, I think at Zoomtopia, some of the manufacturers, Logi and Neat, are going to be introducing uh, their 360 cameras that are a supplement to Zoom Rooms. And then using the Smart Director, it's going to allow, uh, give everybody a face at the table. Um, currently, Zoom Rooms will also do their multi-camera setup. I have one at work. Um, and the bottom camera here, although it's dark, it's hard to see, that's one of those uh, uh, pano to big ultra wide camera, you know, but it's, a, that's a bad example. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, to Courtney's point, uh, you, you wouldn't be able to independently scroll around the room. It would be one for everybody because there's only one piece of glass. Next question. Next one comes to us from Alexander Knight here on the panel, Vancouver. What's the difference between the brother P touch cube and the more expensive plus model? I bought the cheaper version by accident and I've been enjoying it. Am I missing anything critical? PJ? The P-Touch Cube is powered by six AA batteries. The Cube Plus has an internal lithium-ion rechargeable battery that uh, you can put into a USB-C port. They both pretty much take the same uh, labels. Um, the P-Touch Plus has a few more fonts available to it, um, has a couple more um, storage ability for saving labels. But um, I would say if you are happy with your purchase and using it, um, stick with it. And hopefully your first label was one for the label maker. Mitchell. A good choice on the brother because they do a great job of what they do. Uh, moving up the line, you can go all the way up to USB connected uh, units that accept these XL cartridges of various sizes. Uh, this is a one inch and this is a one and a half inch. Um, so they, the software will run with just about all of them. So it's uh, it's a great product. Go ahead, Bill. I'm old fashioned in this thing. The one thing I think you're missing is a keyboard. I have my my D800 has been around with me for probably 20 years now. And the thing I love about having a keyboard on a label maker is those times I'm in the field and I suddenly realize, oh, my gosh, I have to change this and change the labels, not needing even my phone or anything else to get that accomplished, I think is a joy. So I'm, I'm a Luddite in that respect. I like a keyboard on my label maker. And Alex. 
And I have a Cube Plus, um, and I we buy them. They're kind of standard issue for us. Um, and we used to have lots of ones with keyboards, and it just it was a space issue. You know, the ability to throw something into a bag that is doesn't have any doesn't is really small and easy to drop into a pocket somewhere is is pretty useful. The Plus has a, a greater variety of of labels that you can put in greater width. I think you can actually put those larger ones that that Mitch was showing into the Plus, but not into the regular one. Um, but I will admit that I never used them. <laughs> you know, I bought them, but I always used the smaller ones. One of the things that, to note also is that the six millimeter um, uh, print will fit right on the end of an SSD drive. So if you're using lots of HyperDex, you can just, you, it'll just fit right there. You make a little white print on black and it just goes right across that little bit there. Uh, it's, it's great for labeling those. So um, anyway, it's it's a great label maker. Both of them are great. Um, the, the plus is a bit better. And Mitchell? I also use it uh, for self-laminating uh, wire labels. So I, all my wires are labeled, all my HDMI cables, USB, uh, Ethernet, they're all labeled with it. And what's neat, what I mean by self-laminating, you wrap it around and then the clear part rolls over the uh, the writing so it doesn't get spudged. And and what we do in that area is we'll put those on and then we'll, we'll shrink wrap it. You know, so it, you know, heat shrink, clear heat shrink over it. So you'll have... You put your label into it, then we put a clear heat, heat shrink over it and shrink it over that. And that really makes it part of the cable. <laughs> Next question. Next one comes to us from TJ Asher, a panel first from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He says, in the last week, the Aperture Citus Link app lost all my presets, and now I cannot control my fixtures individually. Is there any alternative to the Citus Link app for controlling my Aperture B7C lights? Alex? Can you, what happened, DJ? Uh, you know, with, with, what I have no idea. I opened the app one day and suddenly all of my presets were gone. So I had a bunch of different presets for office hours, you know, different color backgrounds and what have you. And then I come in, I turn them on and it's like all the presets were gone. Um, and um, it's been a struggle to get the, the top ones, normally a white light and the background is, you know, a different color. And I turn it on and they're all the same color. So it's, it's and you can't change them. You can't, you can't get to each individual light. now. No. And then I, I try to change each one and it's like, it's not working. I, I don't know what is going on here. My guess is that you have automatic updates on. So it, it updated. You have, I you, do, I do not automatic update anything. Oh, that's interesting. Cause that, that usually is a, an OS change or, or an, or a, uh, or an app change might, might precipitate that. I was thinking the app change guy. Yeah. Yeah, I was just looking at it myself. Uh, it says that it was updated uh, two weeks ago, so I have it here running on my uh, on my Mac Mini M1 because it is a uh, um, uh, a native iOS app. But yeah, you can see right here <laughs> the whopping two ratings, uh, which brings it down to three point oh. So I don't know if there's another another app, but yeah, you can see right here, version history 1.9.5 was updated two weeks ago. And so I'm wondering if something happened in that update that messed it up for you, but it is a cool app when it's working because you can control uh, multiple fixtures and there's lots of stuff that you can do uh, as far as matching colors and things like that. But hopefully it gets uh, working for you, TJ. Next question. Paul Terry Wallace, Austin, Texas. And Paul asks, is there a way to connect a bunch of WYZE, W-Y-Z-E, or other security cameras to a Synology network-attached storage device and avoid cloud charges for storage and analysis of security footage? John? 
You've perfectly identified the problem with most of these. They're encrypted from stream to, to server and cloud, and that's how they get you. So you have to pay for the cloud fees. And Nest does the exact same thing. So that's the reason why I like access. You have complete control over the stream, and you can record it locally on, on a NAS if you wanted to. Courtney? Well, if you want to just preserve what's there, the all those wise cameras have SD card, micro SD card slots in them. You can put you a 400 gigabyte card in there and record. Uh, they will record locally uh, every time you uh, switch them or turn them on or they detect something moving. That way you don't pay any cloud fees and it's stored locally and you always have access to it. And David? I checked the Synology app store, whatever. They have a lot of apps there might be a, a dvr like thing you could rig up for cameras throughout your house um that would be where i'd go for that. next question jeffrey powers in madison wisconsin weighing in next netflix released the show kaleidoscope on new year's the limited series randomizes the episodes with a final episode to wrap it up but not it's not a choose your own adventure how can this idea be better utilized for a fun experience courtney Years ago, I remember at a World's Fair in uh, San Antonio in 1968, there was a Czechoslovakian uh, theater called Kino Automat, which was uh, basically, and it was difficult to do with film projection back then, but you'd choose, the audience would vote on the direction that the film would take. And they'd have a series of branch points, and you'd have to carefully construct your storyline so you could take different paths but arrive at the same conclusion. And so just with uh, careful scripting, uh, you could do something like this and have different episodes in different orders that have similar branch points, but and a, and a branch point back to a common conclusion at the last episode. So it's possible to do. Uh, you just have to figure out. It ha takes a lot of clever writing and clever transitions between scenes uh, to you know branch off into a different direction uh, so that the audience can kind of pick the direction of the story that they want to see. Jesse, um, the 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 trouble with this kind of thing is that the the um, it, it's usually too clever by half. Um, you you spend so much time organizing your thoughts around what I would call a story gimmick that you lose sight of the story. I'm a bit of a story absolutist. I feel like in the same way that lens elements are put in a certain order to create a clear image, uh, story elements also need to be put in a certain order to create a clear story. So I, I'd be interested to watch this, but um, it sounds like a more more uh, gimmick than protein. More cat, what? More sugar than protein? Whatever it is. <laughs> Alex? It was a horrible idea. No, like, I, I think like it was just, so what everybody did is that they, they put it out there and then a bunch of us just waited for somebody to tweet what the order was and then everyone watched it in that order. Like it was just, it was, I mean, that's, that's the behavior that, that was created because if you watch the wrong one, then now you've, you've jacked up the whole experience. Like, it's just a horrible idea. I don't know whoever thought of that, but they should, you know, I mean, I guess they, they make a lot of content so they can make mistakes, but that was a mistake. Um, I, the choose your own adventures have largely been a failure as well. I mean, they, content creators love that idea or not the content creators love that idea. The people who think about and are trying to figure out how to do interactive television, you know, like is, are the people who, you know, they're trying to find the next new thing. So they, they go, okay, we're going to do choose your own adventure and everybody hates it. Like, it's just, you know, there's like four people that think it's great and it's all as, as was stated before, a gimmick, <laughs> like, you know, like interactive television is letting people interact with, you know, there's a lot of ways to do that. 
and this isn't it, you know, and, but this is like executives trying to be cool like the kids. So to Courtney's point earlier about the writers, and I was hoping Sky was going to jump in on this one, being the the storyteller, there's no way that they could write it so that it doesn't matter what order it comes it in. Could. It could be different narratives. I mean, you looked at Memento, <laughs> you know, like it started from the back and went forward. So, I mean, you can, you could get creative with it, but, but the thing is, is most people want to sit down and just have a good story, you know, and th- none of these gimmicks actually ever turn into something that people remember, you know, except for Memento, but, but that was designed that way, you know, and, right. but outside of that, it was. Um, but that was still designed to be watched the way it was watched. You know, like it was not, it was, it was still a linear experience of that, of that piece there. Now, I think that there are huge opportunities to do things that let people explore the characters. And I think you're seeing some of that with what the Marvel universe does with lots of different characters. Andor is a great example of something that is a bit part, bit character in, in Rogue One um, that becomes, they built an entire show on it. And I think that, there's a huge opportunity to build content and then have ancillary content. Like you could have Instagram by the characters or you could have um, little five-minute things on YouTube that explore the character. So if you never watch the YouTube segments, it's fine. But there's backstory that you could get in other platforms and other things that let people right. who are really into it explore it. And I think that those are the kind of things that are, that are, that are really interesting that no one's doing. But this linear, like we're going to – they're just jostling it up is just all a gimmick. Heroes did that really well. NBC Heroes. Yeah. They were like the originators, I think, in doing that. Mitchell? Yeah, I'm sorry. You see my facial expressions. Uh, I, I think Alex is on to something. You can't mess with a story arc. Uh, and to have other people making that decision that aren't the directors and the writers, um, I just don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn out well. It's going to end in tears, so to speak. But the idea of a different perspective, maybe a different camera angle, maybe the perspective of the story as told, seen by a child in the scene, whatever, um, that might be interesting to see a little bit of an angle. So if you can watch the movie the way it was meant to be done and then see it from a little bit different perspective with the same storyline without people hacking it up and doing weird things to it. Courtney? Yeah, I think the real reason that they do this, especially in streaming uh, episodic uh, television, is to get repeat views because people will say, well, I wonder what would have happened if I'd branched the other way at, at this point or watched this episode before this episode. And so they'll go back and view it again. And that way they're chalking up repeat views and they can uh, get more money from their advertisers for that. Jesse? And when I say I am a structure absolutist, I'm not saying I'm a hero's journey absolutist. So things like Memento, Pulp Fiction, Knives Out, those are incredibly structured and incredibly deliberate, even if they aren't a straight line from, you know, minute one to minute 90. Thanks for clarifying that. Nigel? Yes, I feel like I've seen a number of series where it may be vastly improved if I watched it in random order. But mostly I think the thing that's done better is what MTU has done, or I did until recently at least, which is invest in the people who invest in them and allow them you to explore additional storylines, additional characters. You had Michael Connolly on the uh, on the show that you do, uh, the radio show, and I think he's done this for particularly well, which is the more time you invest in his characters, the more return you get because they live between the storylines. And I think that's the way you keep something solid. And Alex? I once, uh, someone put up an edit at some point, I don't think it's still up there, that they took Lost and they and they actually had a couple hours of Lost where they took out all the flashbacks. 
And it actually is a pretty intense thing to do because suddenly you don't know why everybody's doing what they're doing, but they're all doing it. It's like taking all that stuff out. And it, what was interesting was it didn't actually take away from it. It was, I still would have watched the show. Um, and, uh, and, and, but that's where I think that you could do backstories where if you think about all the lost back, you know, um, flashbacks, what if you showed some of them or didn't show any of them and you just show a whole movie and then there's all these flashbacks that you can actually watch somewhere else or even there to find it um, so that people can have a little more linear experience, but then also, you know, d- dig into the characters as they want to. Next question. Jason Robert Shaw in Sarasota, Florida says, I got an Elgato Stream Deck pedal for the holidays. Do you use pedals in your live events? And if so, how do you use it? And what other pedals are out there? Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, I have one as well. I'm still getting used to what I want to program it for, but you can see uh, this is it. This is the size of it. So in comparison to like my hand, you can see how how big it is. So uh, when it's on the ground, I have mine set up. Well, I'm still trying to figure out how I want to do this, but uh, mine is cut because I'm using vMix. So I have uh, fade here, uh, which cuts from whatever's in preview. And then I have mute and then uh, playback if there's uh, a video that needs to be played. So I'm, I'm still playing with these, but yeah, you could dial it into companion uh, and you can set these to whatever you want, where you could just use the native stream stream deck app. But yeah, that's it. Three three buttons goes on the floor. We one USB-C to, it comes with USB-C to uh, USB uh, a uh, connection and uh, yeah, cool gift. Whoever got that for you, that was a, a nice one. Next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next. He says, I know DJI drones don't do shows, but would a DJI Mini 3 Pro be a solid entry into the drone world? Courtney. Yes. Uh, they made a number of improvements. I have a DJI Mini, and it's a wonderful thing. It's below 240 grams, and the and the DJI Mini 3 Pro is also below 240 grams, or 249 grams, and below 250, which means it's free of registration and a lot of regulations that the FCC, I mean, that the FAA puts on you if you're flying it uh, in America. Um, so uh, it's a good entry point. It has anti-collision, anti-stuff uh, built into it, cameras avoid, so it'll avoid obstructions. Uh, so you can fly it uh, without fear of running into walls or trees or things like that. So, yeah, it's a great entry-level uh, little drone. It's quiet. It's a lot quieter than a lot of the bigger drones. And it's uh, a little hard to see if you have to maintain line of sight with it that because it kind of disappears because it's gray. You fly it up in the sky it's really hard to see. Guy? Yes, I have the Mavic and I, the original Mavic and the Spark, and I haven't been flying them lately because I went to a drone school and uh, heard of some of the repercussions and trouble you can get into for flying it where you're not supposed to. And I live within three miles of an airport, so uh, I quit flying mine. But for the holidays, uh, my brother-in-law got that exact one, the Mini Pro, and we were flying it, 249 grams, where we could fly it. He's not by an airport, but uh, over the holidays, I had fun just zipping it around. The battery life is is not as good as some of the bigger ones. Uh, the picture quality amazed me. We took, uh, we shot in 4K. We put it on his big screen, and compared to the Mavic, the original Mavic, the the, the noise and the shadows, because we were flying at, at almost dusk, and the difference between the sunset and the the uh, city below, it was it was just spectacular. So I'd say that's an awesome one. It even got me uh, wanting to get the the bigger ones. I was off looking at the uh, lens rentals about uh, there's a new what is it? It's not Micro Four Third. Uh, there's one that's that's like almost ten thousand dollars. It's from DJI now. That I mean, it just renewed my interest. So I think that once you get into the drones, you get into that bug of like, oh, the image quality could be so much better. So uh, it, it's one of those things where you get into it and 
you're probably going to want more. So, but yeah, I'd say that's a great entry level. And TJ. Uh, yep. Uh, Courtney and Guy pretty much nailed it on everything. Uh, just because it has collision avoidance uh, detection doesn't mean you still can't run it into things like trees. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> Great point. Next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, back again with this one. Is the competitor to chat GPT called Jasper worth the five-day free trial than 990 US dollars a year after that? Go ahead, John. Sorry about that. My dog was scratching on the door. So uh so Jasper is a uses the uh ChatGPT API. So they were founded in January of 2021. What's funny is they they actually called themselves Jarvis and they got a very interesting letter from Disney and they changed their name to Jasper. Uh but they're they're based on ChatGPT and they're added additional value on top of ChatGPT. So they're not they're not a competitor. And Jesse and they have not updated all of their promotional materials on the website. You'll see some blocks of text that are still referring to Jarvis instead of Jasper. If you are going to get in on this, get in early because if uh, think think about your uh, least favorite recipe that you find online with uh, blocks and blocks of text before you get to the first ingredient. Um, the promise of an entire internet with nothing but automatically generated blog posts uh, devalues blog posts almost immediately. So uh, get your value as quickly as you can on something like that. Next question. Douglas Carmichael's up again. A guy, I really like how you use the security camera controller for PTZ cameras. Do you prefer using a joystick for PTZ cameras or a stream deck? Go ahead, guy. Yeah, I really like the joystick. It's so much nicer to just be able to grab onto something, especially if you're in the heat of the moment and you need to get a shot right away. If somebody's yelling in your ear, like, get that shot. And you're like, oh, oh, oh. it's it's so much easier just to grab on the joystick and, and point it to where you want. But yeah, that that device for the money is is pretty amazing. I put the link to it in the chat. I don't sell it. It's just one that uh, I happened to stumble upon because I looked at the brand of one that was twice as expensive. And I was like, that looks familiar. And so if you have some IP-based uh, cameras, it also does something called ONVIF, which gives you that ability to uh, utilize the screen that's built in. So unlike a lot of other PTZ camera controllers from other uh, brands, this one actually has the screen built in. So you can actually see what you're doing and you could be zooming in. And I also put a, a link to the uh, uh, um, NDI camera from HuddleCam. So this is not a, this thing doesn't physically move this one, but they make other ones, of course, that, that move. But yeah, again, cool device for, for $298. Next question. Comes to us from Mitch Hill in Wilmington, Delaware, here on the panel. Take a look at TSX.live. It would be fun to put our office hours panel up in Times Square for a shout out. David? I'm trying to find out or realize where that building is. I'm pretty sure it's across the street from the office I'll be moving into at the beginning or in the coming weeks. Uh, so if we pull it off and it's scheduled, let me know and I'll uh, be sure to capture footage of the experience. That would be neat. Mitchell? Yeah, the app is kind of cool. They uh, they sell it as 15 seconds of fame. Uh, you can go in there and uh, buy a uh, short uh, segment on one of the big screens. And I just thought that we've got our big panel here and we could all go, hi, you know, or something and uh, do a little push for uh, uh, officehours.global. But uh, there's quite a crowd there. And over the weekend, uh, or, you know, heading into New Year's, there was like over a million people. So I'm not saying we could do it then, but right now, for example, would be fun. TJ? 
uh, our Office Hours own Phil Langer um, gave a demo how he runs a bunch of software that does most of the signage in Times Square. And David? Yeah, just founded its 1568 Broadway, which is two blocks north of where I'll be. Um, I'm pretty sure I could see that corner, if it's the one I'm thinking of, from like our lodge or cafeteria kind of place. So let's do it. Next yeah, question. A, I was just oh. going to say, there's a camera um, in After Hours that uh, Brandon has up, just showing the exact billboard. Next question. Uh, Douglas Carmichael says, Mitchell, if we were going to advertise ourselves on such a high visibility stage, wouldn't we want to have a pre-made 15-second uh, quick hit teaser along with content? Say, learn about more about big name movie X to appeal to a general audience. David? Just I gave a quick look at the app, and it looks like it's only from your phone. And I'm assuming it's like people in Times Square at the moment doing their little 15-second and sending it up and scheduling it. However, if we pre-produce it, put it on somebody's phone, then schedule it and put it up there, that might be doable. Okay. And Mitchell? What David said, plus just the idea of doing it live, just kind of now we pause to go to Times Square, a Times Square, and then off we go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to our producers for those questions during the first hour. Go ahead and share and submit your questions for our second hour as we transition into our brainstorm on Monday topics. And just looking at the past year plus of Mondays, it's typically been lots of some business elements. There have been leadership development types of topics we've touched on also innovation and i recall when our our council met and we were just really diving into our, our Monday community and what you need. So this is the opportunity where you get to share your thoughts, what would help you in the next the next month, the next 12 months to help with your development as it relates to media tech, or is there another area that we should be delving into, um, into more? That's what we want to hear during this time. And I've really been thinking too, that we've been touching, really scratching the surface in some areas. Because when we do talk about marketing, we'll touch on like social, like at a surface level, but you know, there's pay-per-click and SEO. And so those are the things that we want to hear from you during this time. Alex? Yeah. And, and all week we're going to be doing this. So think about them and just to kind of give you the structure of how we're going to approach at least the first quarter. We're going to do this once a quarter. So, um, so we're just going to stop talk about what we've looked at, you know, spend a week kind of figuring out what we want to do next. Um, and this is going to be kind of like a little pause every every quarter just to decide where we're going. And then we're going to start trying to schedule out that quarter um, pretty completely. Um, the, you know, Mondays are really, we've been looking at them as basically business oriented, you know, how we, you know, the, the business of what we do and, and, and Liberty has been incredible at bringing in guests and bringing in, um, you know, different subject matters in that, in that area. And we're going to keep on doing that. Uh, Tuesdays, we're really looking at graphics, things that computers make. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's anything 2D, uh, experimental, 3D, yeah, photogrammetry, all those things are going to be on on Tuesdays. Wednesdays, of course, are audio. Uh, Thursdays are, are video. Um, and uh, Fridays are... We're really looking at the logistics of doing what we do. So, you know, Liberty's, you know, the, the the Mondays are the business end of what we're doing. And they can be a little bit blurry there. But 
Friday is really like all things logistics that might be AWS, it might be programming, it might be uh, shipping and tape and you know, all kinds of other things. So it's not just IT, but really um, in general, a um, you know how you know the nuts and bolts of getting something done um, from a logistics perspective. And so, so those are things. And then you know we will, you know I think that one of the things we're going to focus on also is is like last week. I think Keely was great, and we want to have more like bringing creators in. Uh, to talk about their journey in different in different areas from a business perspective, and we might bring in some lawyers to talk about you know copyright and legal the legal issues and you know those types of things. And so so those are things to kind of um, to kind of frame this up. Um, and we really want people uh, brainstorming all this week to really give us a sense of what they want to see. And these are, these are probably one of the more important weeks of the year, um, so that you can really uh, help define what we're going to be talking about in the in the coming months. Yeah. And then even to you saying that as well, Alex, like just even thinking we, you know, even businesses, that's so broad. There was uh, one point, I think it was in after hours last week or the week before, and someone had shared, well, they don't necessarily tune in on Mondays because they're retired. And just thinking, oh, well, we do have a, a community of people who may not be in the, in this space full-time working for someone, but how else can we still serve them or what else can we bring value? So you say that Mondays, it might be a little blurry in some areas because we're still shaping that. But this is where we want to hear in panel. Feel free to jump in at any time of just even when you think of Monday or when you think of some of the needs that you might have as well and how we can incorporate those conversations in Mondays. What are some of the questions um, in this space, in the innovation? We did some with the NFTs and we we uh, there's someone crypto wise that we're, we're looking at bringing in into the wing. So even some of that, the curiosity part of the the business and the leadership space. Nigel? Yeah, it seems to me that Monday's sort of fallen into two different groups. I wonder if there are some more subgroups. Uh, Group one is the business models. So in the various different things, because we talk about virtual events, we talk about productions, we talk about many different businesses each of which have their own business models. So I think sometimes we talk about the business models. Second thing is we talk about the business of running the business, which is how do we get the best out of our people? How do we get the best out of our resources? How do we get the best out of our assets? And I think both of those exist. Now, I don't know if there there are other sort of sub-elements as well, uh, but those seem to be two very clear different things we do. Yeah, and, and even when you say the like the business of running the people, that's where we had, you know, John Snyder came in and talked some things about like getting the job. I think that jobs and <laughs> job creation and and hiring and then also presenting yourself. Cher Jones came on and spoke about the branding, but it was more around the person than the branding, that marketplace type of branding. So you're right. We do have a lot of sub groups there and, and what else, what other groups are in that space that we can we can dive into as I shared, like let me see if this will pop up. And it is, let's see. Oh, give me one second. Let me put this on. There we go. Cause yeah, I've been I've been thinking about this like just even with us having like the business side there. So we've got the marketing, we've got the people as you shared, um, we've got the innovation. And then there's also, I guess you can, I guess tech could be underneath the innovation side, but 
what other, you know, Sky, you talk so much about story. And I think about, I think about that, <laughs> that a lot as well. Mondays, is that something we can put on a Monday or what, what elements we had a producer series, or I think we spoke about producers roles at one point. Is that something we should bring back? Well, you, you called me out. And so my, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to find the better question because I figure if you get the right question, you're going to get closer to the right answer. And so I'm I'm sitting here desperately trying to be very concise and respectful of everybody's time about what Seth Godin talks about in solving problems. And he says, solving a problem puts value in the creation first, but first is who's it for? And what does the, what, sorry, I want to get it right. What problem does it solve? And here's the painful part. Would we miss it if it didn't exist? And so this, I, in, in mulling over this conversation is the why are we doing this to begin with and then work backwards from the, the need. So this is, this is the story, and I wasn't very succinct. And that's why I was trying to be <laughs> sorry. He's going around that. He's going around that house trying to find that front door. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the thing that I, I guess is important is that a lot of times people operating, understanding the business end of it tend to be more successful than the people that are just good at doing it. And that's always the challenge is, and I think that's where we want to be using Mondays to make sure that we have all the tools we need to be successful because all the other days are, are dedicated to how to do it. <laughs> like, you know, how to, you know, these are operational, like this is how, what it takes to do these things, but we need to back up and go, to the sky's point, we need to back up and go, okay, why are we doing it? Who are we serving? How do we make sure that they know that we do this? Um, how do we, you know, I think that it's really interesting in other conversations that I'm in talking to creators and the amount of attention. And we saw this with the YouTube creators that came on of, of understanding how the algorithm works and understanding how, what the process is and understanding what the rules are and understanding what, you know, what's the pattern. And I think that Keely did that a lot last week talking about discord and understanding, but we have to understand these mechanisms um, of 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 the, that are part of our marketing, and a lot of us tend to lean towards I don't like to market. I just want to do my thing. And but we have if we don't pay attention to those things, um, you know, we have problems. Like I have a good example of, you know, I had a company that went under, and one of the big reasons for that was we were so busy. I didn't advertise at all. <laughs> like I was just like I just was so like I was like I can't take on any work. What I didn't realize is that I could have it, it would it would have allowed me to diversify my clientele and also diversify and pick pick my clients more effectively and with the same impact that I had there. And those are the kind of business decisions that you, you want to make. And, and that's where I think Monday is a place for us to brainstorm on those business decisions. So we're thinking through those in a smart way, because we, even when we're busy, we may be setting ourselves up for, you know, being top heavy or, or, you know, being exposed in some way that, that we, and, you know, a lot of us don't know how to bank. We don't know how, there's a lot of things we could, could be talking about. Don't know the best way to structure our loans, <laughs> the best way to build those things. And those are the kind of things that I think that we could cover here as well. So I heard from you is the, the also the creator aspect, like the business of the creation and putting those words together actually is helpful. Like you said, bringing the key on, um, Sean and Benji came on and showed us how as creators, how they're running their business and how um, how that impacts them as well. So those are some great points. Nigel. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there are lots of things that if you're running a business are good to know. I think of, you know, the business canvas. I think of building value propositions. I think all of those things. My experiences of this community is that it doesn't necessarily get excited by those things. It gets excited by people who do things or technology that does things and then thinking about how to apply those to themselves. And so some of the challenge, I think, for Monday is that that dichotomy between, you know, you've got to know how to build a house before you build a house, but it's much more interesting talking to people who build houses than learning how to lay bricks. So that also sounds like bringing on more people who are doing the things because that's the interesting part. So if we're going to teach these really important principles that not just the discussion around it, but hearing from the people who are doing the thing and how they're doing it, and that being of more interest is what I'm hearing from you, Nigel. Bill? Yeah, for me, I I started understanding that there was a split between the way people look at business operations when I was in radio in my early days, because um, I, I, as I became the the production director of a big radio station, um, they used to talk about the suits being the sales teams and the the administration and the creatives being the people who were on air or doing production or writing script copy or something like that. And it was interesting to me that those were two separate camps. And I always, after I came out of that thought, they really need to be balanced. Uh, Each side maybe has a little bit of, yeah, it's those guys about the other side, but unless you're doing both and most people, and this was the kind of wake up for me, most people naturally sort themselves into one or the other camp. You don't see as many people who are happy to deal with the ratings and the the metrics and the books and also be the person sitting down with a blank piece of paper and writing a really compelling radio spot. Sometimes you do, and some people have those brains and switch back and forth. And I just always felt like it was important to understand, A, where I fit and what my primary goals were. B, to respect what the other side did, because I can't do that. And they have their own talents in that area. And C, knowing that if I was going to be entrepreneurial and I was going to go out, I had to switch back and forth and I had to not ignore either side. And that's very difficult as you're trying to get a bootstrap business off the ground to pull yourself out of the creative and do the books or do the marketing or do something that you are not naturally desirous of spending your time doing, but without which you are really limiting your possibilities for success. Thanks, Bill. John? I'm in the shower. That's where all my thoughts come to me. And I'm I'm considering this word creator and then juxtaposing that against what Midjourney is doing. I can't remember what Alex calls them. Diffusionist artist or something? Diffusionist. <laughs> We've decided. We're, we're diffu- so, I heard last night, I was listening to the MIT, uh, an MIT article, and um, and they, they, they're calling it a prompt engineer. A prompt engineer, but I think prompt engineer, but I I think diffusionist is better. So think about these new AI tools and how good, you know, mid journey is and chat GBT and how easy it's going to be to create content moving forward and how that crosses over humanity. So it's going to be an interesting battle moving forward. Sky. Well, I'm also helping us delineate the difference between passion, a passion project a hobby and the the difference between what is a service 
and what is a product. And these are these are things. And I really feel what Bill's talking about here, being a one person uh, creator and business is means time. So I'm also thinking the work life balance is is a part of our conversation here because you know guy is very creative, but he's in charge of a lot of humans underneath him. But he's brought in uh, people that are very good at helping him uh, with the the business and the human side. And so he he's found a, a way to balance things. So maybe we pick each other's brains on, well, this is how I built something and you can reverse engineer it from, from their experience. I'm glad that you pointed that out, uh, Guy, because I was going to bring him into the conversation of, as well, because Sky, you said, thinking, starting with the end in mind and thinking of the demographics of our community, thinking of who shows up on Mondays, even though there's the replay. So people always get messages from folks who say, oh, I watched the replay and what value it brought to them. But then looking at the connection with, okay, well, guy and building his business, his story and speaking to a guy, like what other tools or resources would someone like guy or maybe guy five, 10 years ago, because we've had a lot of conversation about people who are moving from freelance or working and then becoming a freelancer. And like Noah always gives great suggestions on topics too, because he's in transition. Like, is that what our community looks like? And what tools and resources um, they need? And Guy, like, even if you could speak to that of just look at you five years ago and the things that have helped you, you've mentioned um, community and meeting with other entrepreneurs or the SBA and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just kind of going off of memory of things that have helped. Yeah, definitely. When I started out, it was one of those things where I wanted to just focus on the creative. I wanted to shoot videos, do videos. I wanted to do these tech reviews and I was having fun doing it because I would get a call. And the the moment that I realized that I don't have to just talk one-to-one on a, on a call, I can make a video and that'll go to a thousand people. It was that, that big leverage piece. But what I despised doing was the the books on the weekend and I'd have to come in on and catch up with all this monotony stuff. And so there's a right brain and the left brain. And it's torture to creatives to sit there and excel and sit there and, you know, do monotonous robot work where other people just love it. They, they're just like, Hey, how can I show up? How can I help the team? And so you, as you build, you really need to have both sides. In fact, uh, we had a specialist that came in at one point from our college class and he ran all these assessments on all the staff and he's like, wow, you're way off balance, you know, so you really want to balance company. You don't just want a bunch of people that'll quote charge and take the hill. So you have these drivers, these people that just want to drive, drive, drive and get things done. But then you have these other people that are like, slow down. We need to dot the I's, cross the T's, you know, make sure that all the logistics are in, in place. You don't want to show up and not have, you know, all the resources you need to uh, to take the hill. So you, you really need a balance. And so a lot of this stuff is just patience. So a lot of people think that this is going to happen fast. I, I mean, I'm going on year 19. This, this has been a long haul. And so building up the team to at one point I had 35 employees, I have 17 right now. So you people come and go, we, we've done manufacturing, we were e-tailer, and we've kind of just gone with the flow. And what excites me about what we're doing is all this digital first and trying to figure out, you know, is, is there a, uh, just a new business model with Zoom and with uh, with virtual events that we're not seeing because shipping physical goods, bring them in from China when stuff, you know, we got these port things that have slowed us down. And so it's, it's just a different world that we're living in now. So we're, we're trying to pivot. And that's what I enjoy about meeting with this group is there's a lot of sharp minds and people are saying, you know, uh, this is the future. And so is, is it chat, chat GPT? Is it AI? Is it uh, AWS? So I'm, I'm here just having fun, you know, coming up to the the mound and taking swings because 
you know, there, there's something here for sure. I love doing the shows and going to the NABs and the gears and seeing what's out there and hopefully see us tomorrow if I, if I can make it. Nice. And then um, Ronnie in the chat shared Monday, he's, uh, they are thinking um, less theory, more hands-on and real experience. So thank you for that comment, Mark. So I think a lot of what Guy said is true. Sometimes you have to be able to know what you're good at and what other people might be better at. And so it's part of it is being a team. Another part of it is know when it takes you three left turns and somebody else just makes a right turn, maybe they're better at what they're doing than you are. So you have to learn how to delegate and grow the business. It's really hard to do at first because usually it's a one person shop, but as you grow bigger, you have to learn to delegate because there's just not enough hours in the day to do everything. Courtney. Yeah. A guy mentioned something is you got to learn how to pivot too, because uh, a market that you started out to pursue, you know, may not materialize or it may be just a flash in the pan, uh, uh, fad or something. And so you have to learn how to take your business and pivot, uh, your strong points and your, your strong areas of interest to maybe doing something else. And you got to look at all the opportunities and branches out there so that you may want to turn in a different direction to stay successful. And speaking of, and Mark, I'm happy that you um, shared that as well, because there are also people who are in business and or corporate. So they're not necessarily building, but what about the people who are trying to maybe grow within that space and what that looks like or what some of those tools look like? I think it might have been Deborah sometime back had made a comment on a show of wanting to know more about working with vendors, but from the perspective of someone who's in an organization and how. So our community that provides services for a lot of people, some things that can help her better or people like her in those organizations. And I would love for a couple minutes before we go to the questions to even hear for those who on the panel who, if you remember your corporate years or your nonprofit years, what are some of those topics or subject matters that we might be able to bring into the community to help? Because everyone is not does not have their own business, is not a freelancer, but it's still under the umbrella of business. Like my, Nigel had shared, the people business, the managing relationship business. And I'm throwing out keywords so that when we listen back to the show, that we can um, have those documented and those notes so that it'll help us plan the next quarter of shows. Alex? Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of subjects we could talk about as far as navigating organizations that would probably be useful. They're hard to talk about sometimes, but but I think that they're necessary. A lot of people feel like, oh, well, I don't want to play the, the corporate game or I don't want to do this or whatever. But if you don't, you don't go very far. <laughs> so, you know, you, like, you, you need to understand, like, what are the rules of this of this field um, and how do people expect to, you know, be part of that? And I think that I think a lot of times, again, as artists, a lot of people tend to want to ignore that but they are, they're pretty key, whether it's, and, and they're all different, you know, they're, they're different protocols in different organizations. Bill? Yeah. A lot of times people say, I want to do this and they start doing it and they haven't done any of that kind of background work. I think there are things, uh, particularly licenses, regulations, things like that, that may or may not be involved in the area where you are going to start your small business and start doing something for money. But uh, they do exist. One of the one of the wisest things I did was stumble into a small business administration class in the early days. Now, I had to take what was useful out of that class and throw 
throw away a lot of stuff that wasn't. They were building businesses on the classic model of, you know, get an attorney, get a CPA, do all this stuff the formal way, which is good for businesses that have a lot of funding behind them. Uh, but if you're just an entrepreneur type and you're starting out, maybe uh, hiring a lawyer is not the first thing you want to do because you've got to get some income rolling through your system. But understanding some of the structural pieces that make you a business in the eyes of the business community. If you don't understand any of that, it's really easy to find yourself in a circumstance where you've misprepared, you've got something rolling and suddenly you think, oh, I could get this big gig if I just land it. And somebody asks you for a PL statement or something else and you haven't done any of that stuff and you're totally unready to move to the next level because you just haven't dotted your I's, crossed your T's and looked at the business as a business. You just gave me an idea there, Bill, of just like even going back to the comment of less theory. Well, if there is, you know, a guest who walks through their experience with sales or P&Ls or just that component, but then we can tie a lab into that where the hands-on aspect of it that can really help people and walk them through that, you know, in after hours, just pairing the two together to make what we do here, make that even more practical and hands-on for the community. Because again, we're serving and, and helping people to grow. Sky? And as I ended up in Los Angeles and I was again taught by a very sage producer, he says, no, this is a factory town. We're cranking out video sausages and it's called the entertainment business. And so if you think you're going to join the circus and go off and just have a fun time, well, Somebody have to tend, has to tend to the elephant. All right. So let's get into these questions. And again, producers, this is your opportunity to put even some of your thoughts or some of the things based on what we've spoken about, about our second hours on Mondays and what you would like to see. And if there's something that we haven't touched on, throw that out there. Let's see where we can go with it. Go ahead, Bill. Juan C. Robles has our first one from Mexico City, Mexico, and he says, how about when things don't go as planned? How do you manage and or prepare to close a business? Bill. Well, in part, that depends on how formally you have created things. A lot of people take flyers and they try to do small business stuff and, and unwrapping those, if you haven't done a lot of structural building behind the business, can be relatively easy. Uh, you know, look out for the little gotchas, like maybe you realize you had to do sales taxes, so you signed up for that. And if you don't detangle yourself from those kind of uh, formal relationships, you can end up getting mail for five years saying, where are your quarterly reports? And you just never really pay any attention to that stuff. So, you know, as you do things, as you sign up for things, as you get licenses, as you do that, make sure you do that. You know, it was really interesting. I was looking uh, online and one of my feeds is related to like the history of the Beatles. And somebody posted the other day, the last formal document that dissolved that corporation. I mean, here was a huge, massive success. And uh, the last one was from John Lennon. And it was the actual letter that he had to sign to dissolve his portion, to agree to dissolve the corporation that was the Beatles. I mean, you know, we think of them as just mop top musicians, but they were on top of a massive enterprise and they had all sorts of documentation and it was highly structured. And until the fourth partner in this thing signed that official letter, it was an entity that was still alive. And only in that last 
fourth signature, did it not become what it was and really stop operating? So it it just woke me up to the fact that even the most creative businesses are still businesses at heart, and you have to you have to follow the rules or things don't go right. Nigel. Yeah, I think Bill's right, and I think people underestimate the amount of costs that come with their business um, and the costs of being in business. So typically, if you you know, a majority of startups fail, so that's just a, a fact of life. And what kills most of us, and I've been in those that have failed, is they run out of cash. So cash burn and understanding what you're spending is really the most important thing you can do. The other mistake people make is they assume that shutting their business has no costs. And in fact, shutting your business is going to have a significant cost. Uh, depending on the nature and the structure of that business, it may be significant costs. And sadly, having you, you really should know the cost of shutting your business down because you need to make sure you shut it down before you run out of the cash because you need to know how much cash to do that. And well, it's a depressing subject. If done properly, it gives you a sense of actually what your assets are and what your liabilities are. And that's important to know when you run any business. Sky? I actually have a company called Embrace the Journey. And it's it because we don't, it's a, it is a passion project, but I have to have the legal issues making a film. Uh, so consequently, it is, is embracing the spontaneous things that might not go the way you were expecting. So that's an attitude. But at the same time, I have also had another company with another producer that we set mile markers that if our business doesn't achieve, as uh, Nigel's point, a cash influx at, at a certain point, it doesn't make logical sense to support our families. And so we created mile markers by which we both, uh, and fortunately it was just the two of us and we had very minimal expenses and very minimal investments. So we were able to divide that as evenly as possible financially at the end. And we're still friends and we get Christmas cards to each other. Um, great question. I'm taking this based on us doing a brainstorm. So more so looking at it as, oh, this would actually be a great series and or a number of sessions that we do talking about. Um, I've shared this a lot that in the past I've gone through Techstars pre-accelerator and that was getting your business idea, your pitch, your deck and all of that together to go for funding and to speak to investors. Well, one of the things they shared with us and they say constantly is, well, what do you you setting this up for? You setting this up for an exit. And that's what I kind of read from here is, okay, setting a session that would talk about dissolving a business and all the elements and the steps that you need to consider and having even some professionals who can speak to, to that area. So Juan, please let me know if I'm hitting the mark of, of um, what you were thinking with this question, because that, again, would be a great series of like how to dissolve a business. They say that I don't have the percent in front of me of the number of small businesses or businesses that actually fail. So we can help the community that, okay, as optimistic as we want to be, but if something goes south, here are the steps, here's the checklist, here are the people you need to speak with to help you through that process. So that could be uh, a great series and of tremendous value. Courtney? And talk to your tax accountant because a lot of times a failing business can offer you, if you have other sources of income, a failing business can become a good source of write-offs <laughs> to your income so that uh, failing businesses can uh, be of value uh, tax-wise to you. So talk to your tax accountant, as many multi-billionaires know, that uh, you know a failing business can help them avoid paying lots of taxes like they normally do. 
Yeah. And even taxes. Thank you, Courtney. I'm, all of these are like markers, <laughs> chapter markers for the notes of like even taxes and our community is global. So even maybe some more conversations around um, business from an international perspective, or maybe there are some regions where <laughs> John might have the data on this of like where businesses happen and where creators or where we're seeing some emerging markets and what we need to know about those areas that could that could be helpful. Next question. Eric Billings in Washington, D.C. is up next. And Eric says, how about a session on app building? Perhaps a call to action for needed apps that you don't have the time to build yourself or tips and tricks like contacts or contracts, business arrangements, LLCs and so forth, or IP, intellectual property protection. I can definitely see a session on, on that. And Knowing that there is, I always find it so interesting when people answer questions and then like, Alex is always saying this, I built this, I built that. I'm like, yeah, having more conversations around that, Alex. Yeah, I think that you could break all of those up. <laughs> so having, you know, I think someone talking about copyright, even someone, I think bringing someone in to talk about patents, someone to talk about, you know, the basic business structures, like what's the difference between a uh, C, C Corp, S Corp, LLC, you know, all those things so people understand, like, why would you do one or the other and have someone who builds those up? And and there's, you know, for instance, I've worked with some folks on provisional patents. People don't know that the, a lot of people don't, I didn't know that those existed. Like, you know, that, 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 that can be a inexpensive way to kind of lay a stake, you know? And so those are the kind of things that I think bringing that lawyer on to talk about, like, how do patents get structured and how they look, you know, in that process. I think those kinds of things could be a really interesting, you know, conversation in those, in that area. Next question. Next one comes from Douglas Carmichael, and he says, when business relationships go awry in some ways, especially for personal or familial reasons, but people still have to work together, how do you go about rebuilding these relationships so that they can be the best possible in those circumstances? Go ahead, David. Well, I've been through a few of those in my career, and the way that I find that works best for me is to own up to uh, things that you have influence over. So if it's something that you've done or said, just own up to it address it as soon as possible and then it's in the past from there and just worry about the current day-to-day -day kind of thing uh i also try to live that good work-life balance and leave the work stuff at work and keep my home stuff separate from from that you know that's my best advice boundaries i like that that's a that's a good one that we could do a whole show on that too bill yeah, this is this is a tough one because you're dealing with human emotions here and this idea of somebody in that grouping going, this would have worked if you hadn't failed in whatever, and, you know, that that uh, that inability of us as all humans. And I'm as guilty of this as anybody to fail in the area of forgiveness has always struck me as one of the things that makes this particularly difficult. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword because when you're trying to grow something from the ground up, the people who will most know you and help you out are your closer relations, whether it's family or friends or, you know, dorm mates or whatever. These are the only people who have enough knowledge of what you're capable of to support you in trying to build something. And when it goes wrong, it's these same people that you had a closeness with that 
you find on the outside. And we've all seen the movies of all of these, you know, the Facebook story and things like that, where at some point, somebody who was really there in the seminal moments of the business and worked really hard gets pushed out of it. And it makes everybody emotionally resonate with how could you do that to him or her? They really, if they hadn't been there, would you have really achieved your success? And then the other side of that is maybe for that business, that person just wasn't growing to the right level. And it's just very difficult. And so uh, forgiveness is a tough thing to master. If you can, I do believe that it makes your life massively better in the long run. But boy, it's hard. Go ahead, Sky. Keeping with the this theme of this show, of the brainstorming, I'm, I'm listening to the keywords uh, as you as you pointed out, Liberty, and what I'm hearing here that could potentially be for other shows is personnel, personality, managing expectations, and and creating those. And the other keyword I'm seeing in here is relationship, and whether I'm blood related or wanting to, like I said, with my previous you know business partner, still send business you know Christmas cards to each other. Um, so those were keywords that I was pulling out for future shows of. Um, even HR, that's see, that sounds much bigger, but, yeah. but I'm sure guy has to deal with, you know, both, you know, humans on, on many levels that he still wants to f- have friends with. Agreed that. So yes, the, the human resources, I heard that too. Courtney. Yeah. The more successful a business is and the more number of partners that is, the more problems you're going to have with relationships between the individual partners, because each one will think that they're more responsible for the success of the business or they want to take the business in a different direction or uh, uh, have advice on on uh, how to divide the spoils of the business. And I think the best way to deal with that, uh, you're always going to enter into divisive arguments. And if it's families, that's that's a big problem. And the best way is to deal with that is like a marriage counselor. You, you find a third-party arbiter to arbitrate uh, – the problems that come up in the business, and you both agree, or all the partners agree to, uh, on a third-party arbiter that's disinterested, doesn't own any part of the business, and can help make decisions and sort out problems between the different partners. And I find that's a good way to deal with it, kind of like a marriage counselor. And keywords that I heard, and I'm also making notes in the chat as well, is like just the relationship part of it, the relationship building, relationship management. Um, they're like, I remember Googling for a talk that I had to give and just the conflict resolution, the, the amount of times that that came up in search. So just some of those things, like if we had experts that came in and shared, um, whether that be in, you know, small business, small teams, bringing it a little bit broader. So in teams, conflict resolution, I think we had something along those lines as well, but then, you know, corporate. Um, so that's, that's what I heard as something that could handle, that could be a second hour on, on that topic. Mark. So I think we should have a, a second hour on team building because most of these business relationships involve people's personalities. Some people have personalities that are stronger than others and they want to take over. And, you know, one way to work around that is by having someone come in to talk about team building. When we do these large federal contracts, it's built into the contract where every quarter we sit down and the whole group gets together, the contractors, the designers, and we hash it out with professional team builders. 
Alex? And I even think a medium about the mundane things of running meetings. I don't know if we've we've I don't know if we've done a second hour on prepping for meetings and running meetings that that matter. Um, but I think that that um, that's important. And you know, there's a lot of different permutations of that. But I think running meetings uh, effectively and how to be in a meeting as well, I think, would be a great second hour subject. Next question. Alexander Knight, Vancouver, British Columbia, says, when trying to build a business as a side hustle, slowly, a discussion about how to divvy up profits into the correct areas, how much to invest in new gear versus your rainy day fund versus savings and so forth. Alex? Yeah, I think there's a lot of subjects here, you know, whether, you know, how to structure loans, how to, you know, invest, how to build a rainy day fund, how to, you know, there's lots of things that we could be talking about on those and those structures and i think each one of them is probably a good a good one to to build yeah the ratios that you want to build around um and what you want to think about as a freelancer because what you want to think about as a freelancer is different than what you want to think about as a corporate entity you know that and, and when do you spend that money and how do you spend it and you know there's always this uh um yeah i think there's a lot of things that we could bring some experts in to talk about related to um managing that that burn rate as as was talked about before and then even I like how Alexander put it as well as the the side hustle. So I'm thinking about a combination of we one of the topics or questions in the first hour was when you're sitting at your desk and stretching. So just the health aspect, the mental health side of you have like just that alone, we could break mental health up into a, a series as well. But having a main like your full time job, but then the side hustle and the things productivity wise or what will help you to be able to grow or sustain. Some people want that side business to just be that extra cash and slush fund or legacy building. Um, some people want to eventually switch it so that that side hustle becomes the main thing and just a series of conversations around how to get there and the things that need to happen in order in order to do that. Nigel? Yeah, I was just going to follow on from the point you made. I see a lot of uh, people try and turn fun things into businesses. And I think it'd be worth an interesting conversation is what is the difference between doing something as a hobby and doing it as a business? And and what are the costs, both financial, social, family-wise? What are the implications of that? Because that, that's a thing that catches lots of people out. And, and even, I like that you said, the, even just the term hobby of your hobby making money, but it's still being a hobby because for some people, there's a switch when it's not fun anymore because of all the business related things that happen. So maybe there's something there um, to to help that you can still make some money, but how to keep it fun again under the mental, the mental health or the life harmony aspect of it. Next question. Next one comes from Douglas Carmichael and Douglas asks how to balance when to pivot or change quickly. As Courtney said, with when to stay with what works. Sky? Well, Alex, you've, you've actually been in the same room as uh, Richard Branson, and I'm sure you know some VCs there, and I've heard about, you know, fail forward, fail fast in that part of the world with regards to money. So I'd love to hear some of their stories of how they've failed forward, failed fast, and if, as an attitude. So to hear stories from people that have done that, that'd be a great second hour. Alex? Yeah, and I think that, thinking about business models in general, because I think that there is a, you know, I think that talking about fail forward, fail fast, but also 
there's a slow burn op- opportunities too. There's people who have decided to take a slower, you know, they're not taking all that money at, up, up front. They're managing that process and they're not trying to turn over something in three months or, or a year, but taking years to kind of let it mature. And I think that talking about different kinds of business models and how they, they might make sense um, could also be part of that. And that triggered something of even mindsets um, that might sound fluffy for some people, but a lot of the programs and communities that I was in last year and and taking that into this year, mindset was a big thing. So maybe there are some layers underneath underneath there, just how you think and processing and decision making. Those are all elements that we may take for granted, but there's... There's a system and a strategy even in doing that and doing that effectively. So um, that being something of a of a topic as well. Bill? And um, when do you look for outside people, particularly things like investors? Are there signs that you're actually ready to go out into the market and try to build your business by assembling a stronger team outside of you? I know a lot of people imagine that they want to do that, but I think it'd be fascinating to talk about at what point is the right point to try to get to that next step and where what are the warning signs that you're not ready to do that? And if you go out into the marketplace and get investors you have a bigger chance of failing than succeeding. Next question. Next question comes from Ron C. Robles from Mexico City. How about how to improve business operations? Yes. The, the, the short answer is yes. Improving business operations. That sounds even along the lines of productivity and tools and and the comment about pivoting because some people, they are, there's pivoting and what's like, I would say like, what's that switch? What changed that helped you to figure out how to run your business more smoothly systems and what systems may are necessary. So there's definitely a lot there, Alex. Yeah, I think that um, there's a lot of like, there could be productivity tools that a lot of us use. So just kind of a breakdown of what those kind of tools are. I think also inviting some of the folks in like Miro is a is a good example of a white, of a kind of a whiteboarding app that I didn't know existed. And then I was working on a software development with with a company that uses it very effectively. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's pretty good. And Zoom has a lot of its own tools that are going down this path as well. And they're partnering with other folks. And, and then you have, you know, apples. And so I think there's a lot of things that are happening in that space of how do we collaborate? How do we design things? Um, and then again, from the business end, even like what, you know, how do we manage our books? <laughs> it's probably a pretty, pretty useful one. Um, and, and talking through that, we've answered those questions, but I think that there are techniques like, you know, are you, is it a, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, accrual versus cash, you know, all those things. I, I think a lot of folks don't know what that means. Um, and I think that they should, if they're going to start a business, they need to know what the, what that means. Bill? I just wanted to add a plus one on this. Uh, I'll never forget as I got higher, uh, working with higher and higher ups in larger and larger corporations, the single biggest word of praise that I heard from a CEO or corporation president towards somebody coming up in the organization was they're an excellent operator. They look for that ability to see systems, run systems, move people into the right places uh, on all size businesses. As you're growing, this becomes more and more critical the higher and bigger you go. 
you made a great point there, Bill, with the the operator that, again, one of those communities that I'm in, someone was saying, I'm looking for an operator. I am the creative person and I need someone who's just going to look at the business and the implementation that goes into that, which makes me think of even uh, a show, a second hour of helping to define roles, maybe some fundamental roles that a business should have and just going through and talking through those, describing them, case studies. I'm, I'm spitballing here, but just that so that people know what's possible because businesses have evolved and operations has evolved and really understanding the nuts and bolts of what that could look like. That could um, be a, like a business 101, but not focusing just on the typical things we do. But no, this is the, the spectrum of what a healthy business should look like and who you need at this level, the mid-level, and, you know, getting ready to exit level, what those roles could look like. Um, Sky, oh, sorry, Alex. Yeah, it had me, that had me thinking about, you know, just like how to build a team, like where do you find them? You know, like, like that's a whole, you know, business in it. I mean, a whole second hour is how do you find people to hire for a specific job? You know, like, like I, I have a gig <laughs> that I need to hire people for. How do we find people for that? So what are, are people using production hub or are they using other things and then how do you build um you know a workforce which is different guy touched on that before which is like how do you like decide who goes where and the type of people that you're looking for but how do you even reach out and do you use advertising or do you use do you put things on it or you know the most complex version for me is <laughs> i build communities <laughs> it's like that's, that's what i do to to find people and and so um so it, you, know, you can have a lot of different ways of of doing that sky I'm getting I'm getting giddy about this next quarter now. I'm going to be learning a lot because I I again uh, that Alex commented about long term versus short term. Both have a value. Both have a need. And but to to help us understand and delineate those and and go through some exercises of when when is you know what uh, solution the best for use use case. Also the I, the phrase that I've heard before is people are often looking for the silver bullet. What is really needed is the silver buckshot. And so that's similar in, in resources. So I'm looking, how do we define those uh, and those conversations? I mean, the, the, that information. Mark? So along with the uh, business operations and improving them, one good guest to have on would be a lawyer that understands interstate commerce because like our A&E company has 23 different states that we are registered to design in, but we also have to register with those states as foreign corporations. We have to know how to set up in those states because we, we are a Virginia corporation that's a general corporation because it was the only way that the other states would accept us. So if we're not all states will accept designing personal or professional corporations. So it gets very complicated. And you also, as Alex said, the difference between uh, cash and accrual is very, gets very complex on jobs where you're getting paid way out. So you need to have, we could have a guest come in as an accountant and explain to us, how do you file all these taxes in different states? How do you, are you on a cash basis? Are you on a accrual basis? What's the IRS going to determine? So there's lots of complicated issues that we could have professionals come in and talk to us about. Yeah, sounds good. Nigel? It sort of uh, bounced off this was client service, customer service. How do you communicate with your clients? What's the best way to do it? I think people underestimate the need for many clients to have uh, good communication, whether it's white glove or whatever it is. It's, if you're a service business, that's the product you're shipping often, and that's uh, underestimated. 
um, I think, oh, what came to me as we were talking too is like even case studies and how to actually build a case study. And um, someone else had shared two uh, case studies and I, I might've lost the other one, but that being uh, something that would be helpful. Guy? Yeah, I'd love to see a second hour on just uh, business resources. I think a lot of people don't think about what uh, what you don't know can hurt you. It can it can even kill you. So having these people that have gone up the mountains like Sherpas, uh, you know, people that can say, you know, I breathe the air up there at the fifty million dollar mark, and here's what it smells like. You need to go back down to base camp and get more acclimated to the air because you're going to go up a big hill. So bringing in some resources that have been there, maybe a business coach come in. Uh, I've used a lot of different uh, mastermind type groups. And so bringing those types, uh, something to think about, just people have smelled the air up there doing the kind of big productions. I know we've had Ricardo Hicks is a, a gentleman that's been pretty heavy into our our, our, uh, our show and uh, he runs a pretty tight ship. And so seeing some of the stuff that he posts up on Facebook and LinkedIn, I'm really, really proud to see his business grow. And so getting people like that that are resourceful and that uh, have smelled the air or uh, uh, been burned uh, so they could share some of those arrows in the back that we don't want to take ourselves. <laughs> right. And thank you, Guy. You just helped me with that. It was analytics, that other one being analytics. And I think I saw in the chat, Adam had even mentioned like failing forward, even if there was a show or, or something, just really digging into failure and the lessons and learnings that come um, from that. Next question. Ronnie Hofsey in Tromsø, Norway, uh, up next with how to position and market virtual production in the marketplace. Many clients do not understand the change from physical to digital and especially how quickly it happens. Maybe we could make some promo videos. Nigel. Yeah, I don't want to answer the question. I'm, I'm much more interested in how do you make the case? So how do you build a convincing storyline? So what I find often with people who are very good at content and are very professional, what they do is actually fairly poor at convincing other people uh, who don't get it what needs to be got. So, so I think it would be useful to do a session on how do you build a case? How do you convince somebody of something that's important to you, which might not be important to them? You can't necessarily make it important, but you can communicate it better. Sky? I was once told by a client, your product that you gave us, your content was awesome. It's just not what we need because we missed the mark on who the audience was. So what I'm hearing in here is how do we learn to listen? And so I don't know if there's a, how to do a class on that of asking better questions, Nigel, of, of who's our client? What do we want them to do? Research. That could be something of like researching well tips and hacks. And and as you shared too, of like the audience side, like there's a whole division of like user experience and and what it goes into understanding your demographics. So that that's awesome. <laughs> Sky, thank you for that. Bill. Yeah, I remember at one point hearing the phrase qualifying a customer, and I didn't know what it meant at the time. I learned it later that how not to waste your time on things. So I think some of those terms, uh, a, a show on some of those terms that people may not be familiar with that lead to a little more discussion about why you should maybe say yes to one client and no to another client could be really useful for people who are building businesses. Awesome. Next question. Next question comes from Douglas Carmichael. Resources for people with disabilities and those that are neurodivergent, autism spectrum, and so forth, in building their careers and starting their own businesses. A hard yes, that is definitely. I remember there was a show we had a couple weeks ago, and Laura 
um, and in the back end, like typed in the chat so that we could then communicate, oh, this is where you can hire people. So I think that that would, again, because of our community, would be a great service for people in our community who are enabled, special enabled, but then also for those who are looking to either vendor, vendors or hiring and just figuring out some of those resources. So yes, thank you for that, Douglas. Next question. Juan C. Robles uh, from Mexico City, back again with how about recruiting personnel and or clients through improving a business's public image? Sky? Well, and that we are an international uh, organization and that we've got those challenges that Nigel pointed out. We we don't have just our local um, talent that we're, we're dealing with. So consequently, I, I would love information about his question, but on a global scale. Agreed. Bill? And I think it would be an interesting show to talk about marketing in terms of all of its subgroupings, including uh, advertising and public relations. I mean, you're talking about basically something has to do with the company's public relations. And I don't think people have a clear understanding always of how those things are different and what um, the, the different impact of earned media and paid media and things like that. And I think that's worth uh, probably a full show worth of discussion. And Sky? Well, and also understanding the different cultures that you're, you're working inside of. And whether it's age or language or or gender, whatever the cultures are. So there's something to do in that conversation. Agreed. Next question. John Snyder in Reno, Nevada. Topic area, when to hire and best practices for hiring the right person. Nigel? Yeah, I just want to add that, that uh, along with hiring comes retaining. I think there's a generational shift going on and uh, what the next generation want may be different. How do we understand that? And then you will top and tail that with the unpleasant thing is how do you successfully fire somebody? Next question. Harshi Trevitti, Daytona Beach, Florida. Up next here on the panel, would you want to learn about accessibility, structured or unstructured? Structured is something like the WCAG guidelines in each of its four pillars, or unstructured is like pulling a book off the shelf and talking about it. That's a great question, Harshid. Alex? Yeah, I think that I think that bringing folks on that are experts in this area and ask, you know, and having them talk through those things, I think would make sense. Harshid is, is an expert in that area, so we could probably bring him in uh, to talk about those things. But we can bring a, a variety of different people from the industry to have these roundtables. I think it's important for us to cover. Yes, Harshid, we need to get you on the roster. Harshid? <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I think that that is true, that we need to... Uh, maybe get in more specialists in the in the field uh, someone like Shelby that also does radio uh, hits and whatnot and talks about accessibility but it's how do we want to learn it because accessibility as I learned last Friday it's huge it's the WCAG guidelines are so vast but so short it's only 13 of them but how do we really dive into them in each section so it makes me want to think that if we get some um, experts uh, to come in and talk about specific topics like the book idea, the unstructured, I think we might just end up learning more and then figure out what we really need to dive into to pick up the missing pieces. Thank you, Harshid. Next question. Next question comes from Deborah Woodfork in Washington, D.C. Professional headshots are small yet useful thing to have. What are ways to get these done? Guy? 
Actually, we probably could get the master on. Um, Steve Brazel introduced me to uh, Peter Hurley, who wrote the book on headshots, and uh, he has a fabulous uh, group of people. Uh, I hope I help sponsor his Zoom 1080p account. So I see how many hundreds of people pop in every day to hear him. And he has a group uh, basically that gets people in every city uh, to uh, create these headshots. He has a special look using Westcott lights that uh, he's perfected. So I would love to get him on or somebody similar to him to show how to get these uh, headshots done because it's some lighting and there's things underneath that you can do to bounce light from underneath that just make things look magical. So I'd love to have a whole second hour on headshots. Sky? I was thinking bringing in a portrait photographer because what they're also doing is seeing the trends and also may potentially setting the styles because they're they're changing and modifying depending on where you end up putting that on LinkedIn versus Facebook versus. Mm -hmm. Oh, and versus. I was letting it dangle out there. I was letting <laughs> it was because there's so many places that your face could show up nowadays. So there's places that I don't know. So such as. Got it, Bill. Yeah, it would be a fun thing. I've done a good little bit of this myself. I used to go into corporations and do maybe 50 or 100 corporate headshots over the course of two or three days. And it is a specialist thing because you're thinking about, do I shoot at everybody on infinity white so that we can knock them out and allow them to be matted over a bit, whatever background they want? Or are we trying to shoot a more candid, soft style and move people around an area? And I've done both. I've taken uh, CEOs around their operations and trying to get both uh, them portrayed as somebody relatable and them portrayed as a business leader. And the approach to those two images are very different. Uh, in fact, we've had CEOs who have had to do three or four costume changes, essentially, over a course of a corporate shoot just to get that done for one person. And then when you have to also figure out how to do 100 other employees and make them all consistent but useful mm -hmm. in those various outputs. It, it's not a trivial thing. It would be great to have somebody like Steve come in and talk about that. So I heard the words essentially like executive presence or showing up professionally or just like some of those, what goes into that. We can, again, break that into a, into a series. Next question. Next question from Ronnie Hofsey in Tromsø, Norway. How to recruit a new the new digital workflow? Workflow, that in and of itself, uh, could definitely be something there, Alex. Yeah, and I think that, that talking about what that workflow is, but also how do you get people, I think that there's a great subject of how do you get people in your corporate environment or clients to buy into a new workflow. Uh, we've had questions about that, and I think a second hour of, of trying to sell uh, the future as opposed to sitting in the past would be a great one. Courtney? Yeah, having a show where you work out the intricacies of uh, whether someone is an employee or an independent contractor, the tax liabilities, the differences between states, uh, having someone who is an expert in uh, HR and dealing with independent contractors and or employees would be excellent to how to define those lines if you're hiring someone in a virtual digital workflow. Sky? Where does AI fit into that question? That's going to be huge. Great point. And next question. And I think this is our last one, is it? Uh, that comes from John Snyder in Reno, Nevada. Topic idea, different types and or stages of fundraising. Angel, uh, venture capitalist, difference between seed rounds and so forth. 
this actually goes back to the idea of whether it be the show that we do terms on, or maybe it's a fundraising uh, or investor 101, maybe even a lot of the topics that have come out of today, bringing into that an idea of a 101 session and where we can take people through the fundamentals and then making sure we bring in the advanced or the next level. Because I think I've heard Alex just saying in in the past of, you know, we want to take people through through the journey. Mark? Well, I think it's great a great topic. One, have a banker come in and talk about lines of credit, how you have to work on your line of credit, what your collateral is, what are accounts receivable. Some banks don't let them go past 90 days. They just write them off the books. And then talking to somebody about, you know, angel investors and how much are you going to give up of your company if you have investors come in. Thank you, Sky. I'm just raising my hands for yes. This is a great topic. And again, somebody mentioned earlier, oftentimes we borrow money from friends. We put too much money on, a, on too many credit cards. So uh, this would be a great education right there. We did it again, the first Monday show of the new year. Thank you so much, producers. Like, I feel great about us going in to create the bring on the guests and create the, the speak to the topics that matter most to you so that, again, we can have a successful, uh, successful year. Panelists, thank you so much for your contributions and responding to our, our questions. And of course, the back end team without which this would not be possible. And again, this entire week is all brainstorming. So I know that once you leave today or if you're watching the replay, as you muddle through just thinking over some of these ideas, jot them down, drop them in Discord under the second hours and, and please do vote them up because those subjects, we know that you really want to hear about them. And tomorrow we will be talking about tomorrow's graphics day. So graphics topics, including 2D, 3D, the um, render, LIDAR, AI art. So bring your ideas about what you want to hear about that. And it's time to go. We'll see you in after hours. Be sure to visit officehours.global to learn more about the rest of the week. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Awesome show. Thank you, everyone. David, Mark, it was nice to see you out of a day sky. I'm giddy about this first quarter. These, the, these topics are awesome. Big holes in my knowledge. That could be a whole second hour. How to avoid making sky giddy. <laughs>